Today's video is brought to you by StoryboardThat.com. Please visit TeacherCast.net slash StoryboardThat for a limited time offer. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 75th episode of the Tech Educator Podcast. My name is Jeff Bradbury. I'll be your host tonight, and tonight we are going to be talking all about coding, creating apps for your school, creating apps with your students, and we have a great panel tonight. I want to bring on our co-host, Mr. Sam Patterson. Sam, how are you today? How are things over in California? Things in California are amazing, as usual. I was lucky enough to get to come to school today and work an open house, so I got to spend a good portion of my Sunday talking to students and parents and hanging out with my fellow teachers here in the makerspace, and nothing could be finer except maybe chilling on the couch. <laughs> we tried chilling on the couch earlier today, but apparently the Green Bay Packers have the best of our Eagles tonight, so... Oh, well, we are here broadcasting, and we have a great show. also want to bring in David Saunders. David, how are you today? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Had a busy week this past week at school, and uh, we had Jeff Kinney, the uh, author and artist of Diary of a Wimpy Kid, visit our middle school, and we had a fantastic visit. And we got to get on. He tours the country in this huge bus that's completely stickered with um, the cover of the new uh, book, which is called The Long Haul. And it's, you know, multiple bedrooms and a shower and multiple TVs for gaming stations and all that stuff. He was amazing. He was really approachable, had some great things to say for the kids, and, and it was a great visit. But it was a lot of work to put together, and uh, we're looking forward to now this week coming up. That is awesome. It is so nice to see everyone doing busy. We've been busy here at TeacherCast.net. We've, of course, been putting out some great stuff. Uh, you can see we've got some new visuals here for our show and a new app and a new Lease on Life here. This is episode 75. Let me share with you a few of the great things that have been happening here. We, of course, are live every Sunday night at 7 o'clock Eastern on TeacherCast.tv. And we have a very interactive chat room right now. And, of course, uh, we've got some people right now participating in the chat. And we're going to be bringing up some tweets for all of our uh, users and stuff. So if you happen to be tweeting out there on the hashtag TechEducator, you might see your tweet show up here on our board um also of course all of our show archives can be found over here at techeducatorpodcast.com where we have all 75 episodes all in beautiful audio and video you can of course check out a lot of great stuff happening over here at teachercast last night we put out a big episode featuring pledge sense um many of you guys know what crowdfunding is pledge sense is an amazing amazing platform found over at pledgesense.com that helps school districts and schools, but most importantly, it helps classroom teachers fund some of the great products out there. So if you are out there looking to raise some money for your kids or if you're out there looking to support some great educators, some of these pledges are $50 or so for just, you know, like teachers want to do magazines and, and a magazine drive. So they're looking for 50 bucks or 100 bucks. And some people are looking for like, you know, different uh, pieces of equipment or something like that. Definitely check out the show over at teachercast.net and certainly give uh, Pledge 
sense.com a, a checkout. They are doing some amazing stuff. Today we're going to be talking to a good friend of ours from Chris Sharon. So I want to bring on Alafia. Alafia, how are you today? Welcome to the Tech Educator Podcast. Thank you so much for having me, folks. Um, I'm doing very well. It, it has also been a busy week, like everybody, which is a great thing to hear. Um, we spent all of Friday at Gwinnett County Public Schools here in Atlanta with about 3,000 eighth graders. Wow. Um, you know, giving them some ideas on career choices with about 150 other companies across the city. So it was it was a great week. Um, it's a little rainy here in Atlanta today, but other than that, can't complain. And uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. You have a great company that's out there creating mobile apps for students and for school districts called Chris Sharon's. Tell us a little bit about that. Sure, sure. So Chris Sharon's is about a, a three-year-old company, um, and Chris means to grow or expand, and that's what we're helping schools do through mobile. So um, the idea came to us very much from experiences that I had in the classroom. I'm, a, I'm an educator. I used to teach preschool for many years. I'm a Montessorian, so I love that. Um, but I, um, I, I was in class. I was a part of administration for several years. And I knew that um, one of the biggest problems we had at our school was communication. And it was a struggle to get parents to know what was happening at school, to be involved, to participate. And um, what we wanted to fix that problem. So we figured we have to meet our parents where they are. And they clearly are on mobile. They're on their devices 24-7. So let's figure out a way to get school on their cell phones. So that's, that's how we started um, with creating apps for schools and districts. Um, and now we're, we're looking at how to enable students to do that as well and teach them how to make apps. So that's uh, a long story short. And so today we're going to be doing our show in two parts. We're going to first start off by talking a lot about school district apps because this is a hot topic, um, especially at different uh, conferences that we go to. School districts are coming up and saying, you know, how do I get on mobile? Where do I go on mobile? Do I go free? Do I have to spend a lot of money? How do I make one? What do I need? And we have an expert on today to talk a little bit about that. And then for the last few weeks, Sam has been leading some shows on the Hour of Code. He's going to update us on some of the great things happening there, and we're going to then juxtapose that into how students can learn how to code their own apps. And maybe they don't need to learn a lot of coding to begin with. Um, but let's start with talking about school districts. Do school districts need to get on mobile apps? What, what do you think, Alafia? Sure. Um, the answer, quite simply, is yes. Um, the, the, the numbers, when you look at the sheer numbers in terms of the devices that we use to access information, um, the number of times every day we use apps versus any other type of medium. I just saw an interesting image today that was, um, you know, we, we use apps more than 10 times a day, whereas we only brush two or three times a day, or we only check our email, you know, we're, and there's just, there's different things that we're, we do naturally, and one of the things that we do most is use our cell phone for access to any kind of information. So as a school, as a district, when you want to be connected to your stakeholders, you have to leverage that valuable um, mode of communication, which is mobile devices. How easy is it for a school district to get on an app? Because there are bigger school districts that have a lot of capital. There's smaller school districts that are a couple hundred kids. Mm -hmm. What does it take to actually start a mobile app? So um, it, 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 there's a, a wide variety of ways to do that. There's a range from here's a free, quick, and easy solution that I can do myself, mm -hmm. all the way up to we're going to hire a team of 10 developers and build this out um, with a lot of the resources and the funds that we have. 
because we're such a large, large organization and can do that. Um, the reason we started Perseverance and the solutions that we're providing for our districts is really based on the idea that most of our schools are not like a Coca-Cola or a FedEx that are going to spend millions and millions of dollars creating a phenomenal app for their business. Um, what we want to do is enable the schools to really leverage that in an easy way. So what we've got is sort of a, a templatized platform um, that enables us to easily create these apps and still meet the needs that these schools and these districts have. So it's, it's kind of somewhere in between um, do it do it yourself and get it custom made. Um, but it's really looking at you know getting getting a phenomenal solution, getting the kinds of things that schools and districts need for communication, but doing that in an easy way so that you can have a company like ours and say, hey, we want to do this, 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 and this with our app. Um, please go make it happen. And it's it, you know it's just a simple subscription to the service as opposed to worrying about managing that team. Now, when we're looking at apps, there are really two different kinds. There are web-based apps, and then there are apps that you have to submit to the App Store. What are the differences between the two, and why would a school district be interested in moving one direction or the other? Sure. No, that's a great question, Jeff. Um, the, the native apps are the apps that you download off of the App Store or the Google Play Store or the Windows Phone Market for your specific device. Um, and those are ones that you can do a lot more with in terms of one, customization, but two, really interactivity between user and device and an app creator. So for example, um, you might have a calendar function on a native app where you can press a little add button and add those events to your, to your own um, phone. And so you're interacting with the app and the device. Um, there might be a feature where you pull up your camera and you take pictures, you know, with your logo on it. Again, things that you can do with a native app as opposed to a web-based app. Um, also, offline is something that you can do with a native app. You might be able to look at, hey, I have, um, you know, I'm offline or my network's not too good. Can I still access critical information? Um, and you can do that with a native app. Uh, web app is also a great solution, but are, but there's some limitations to it in that you have to be connected. You can only kind of view information as opposed to interact with it. Um, so it's really kind of um, a solution that is, you know, it depends on what you're looking for. Typically, you know, we'll see larger districts that are doing both. Um, and a smaller district or a smaller school might have to choose one way or another. Um, we do believe that the um, the native app is the way to go because it is something that we just use so much more. As you know, as consumers of the technology, we're we're great at apps. We like apps. We download apps, and once you have that on your phone, it's there, and you know to look to it all the time. You can get push notifications, things like that, that really help you um, have it be a valuable tool. So that's the that's the route that we choose. As far as looking to get onto a mobile application. Is it something that a school district needs to do a lot to prep for, or is it something that requires a special website? Or when you're, wor I'll even say, when you're working with a school district, are you mostly working with a range of educators, or is there usually like one point person? I think that's three questions, but I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's okay. I'll try to get to the last one first. Um, typically, depending, of course, on the size of the school or the district, um, there may be a team of people that we're working with or just one, you know, director of communications or, or, or whoever that person might be. Um, but as far as the preparation is concerned, it's really critical to, to, to have the district's 
think about what it is that you want to achieve with this app. Um, many of the conversations that we have with districts are to the effect of, you know, yes, we want an app, um, now what? And we do a whole process of, you know, analysis and research and, and asking the right questions so that the, the district can really get to a place where they understand what they want to do with it and then what are the different pieces that are involved with it. So we're typically very involved with that process. Some, you know, some schools or districts will come to the table and say, we know exactly what we want and here it is. Um, and then, of course, we're happy to, to go and, and create that as well. But um, there's a lot to think about. You know, you don't want to just have an app for the sake of having an app. You really want to have a clear purpose. You want, you know, some districts say we just want this for emergency communication. Um, send out push notifications. Schools close tomorrow, or you know, so and so incident has happened at this school, um, and so that's their sole purpose for it. Other other districts might say, hey, we want to use this heavily for athletics, and so we're going to build it out to have scores and athletic calendars and live feeds. Um, things like that. Of course, you can have it do a lot, and you can have it do everything, um, but having that point person at the school that is managing um, that app and really taking it to a place where it's successful and the community is able to use it is key. So in a school setting, there are, you know, I, I can't think of whether it would be our marketing person, our development person, uh, somebody in the front office. Who usually ends up wearing the app content manager hat? Is that the same person that was, you know, working with the website, or, or who do you see taking on that role usually? Typically, it is it is the director of, of communications if the school um, has that position. Um, districts typically will have a director of communications, and so that's the person at the district level um, that is taking that on. But um, at the school level, very much um, either the, the principal, the head of school, the director of communications, um, if you're talking about an independent school, um, I think you mentioned Sam, sort of a, a development director, which is always, always a great part to have in that app as well. Um, but typically it's the communications department that's involved heavily with it. And if it's a larger district, we'll see them say, okay, we're creating the app and we're managing it and we're going to oversee it. But we want to have one person at each school that is in, in charge of and involved with the content and the information for their section. Um, so, it's, so, you know, we kind of see that play between both school and district. It's interesting as you're talking about this that, you know, it's, it's obviously you're pulling from a number of different use cases from, you know, very small single campus settings to entire districts. And you've already mentioned the ability to do like emergency notification and kind of push notifications, whether it's snow day or, or what have you. Um, are there two-way communication tools that can work inside of this app? There are. Um, we have, you know, sort of chat boards, discussion boards, feedback mechanisms, um, forms that you can fill out. A lot of schools have done something to the effect of a an attendance. Uh, a quick attendance form that you fill out in the app and say, hey, my child's going to be late today or got a doctor's appointment, we're going to be out, um, and then you hit send and that goes to the right people at that school or at that district. Um, so there's definitely the two-way communication and, and that's the only way it should be because if it's not, it's not doing 100% of what it can. Excellent, because if you can manage to deliver the con your content directly into the hands of your stakeholders, you want them to have a voice back into that. So it's really um, participatory. It's you know leveraging that technology to its fullest. 
Absolutely, absolutely, and and that's really you know the purpose of something like this. It's, I mean, it's, it's anywhere communication, right? You have that device in your pocket wherever you are. Um, that's typically the first thing you put in your pocket in the morning when you leave home. So we want to make sure that we're leveraging that um, for everything. I mean, there have been unfortunate incidents at schools, at districts, with you know shootings or safety incidences, and and there's a lot of chaos that can occur if communication lines aren't clear. Um, and the one thing that we've seen with districts that are adopting mobile is your mobile app is the one and the first place that you'll typically go to, and so you want to have that be the first thing that you're updating. Excellent. There was a question in the chat room uh, from one of our greatest attendees, Craig, and he asked a question that I think is really important when you're thinking about, okay, if I'm a school and I'm going to get an app and I want to figure out, like, how much work this is going to add. Is it possible to feed information into the app in a way that also posts to other feeds? So, for example, if I was just sharing something along the lines of a few pictures and a blog post, I could put that out on Twitter, Facebook, and into the app simultaneously? Absolutely. Um, we want to try to reduce redundancy of data as much as possible. So we'll typically pull calendar feeds or emergency feeds or social feeds um, directly into the app. So you know, really think of think of the app as um, the hub of your of your you know wheel. You've got a lot of spokes of communication, a lot of different ways to get information out there, and the app is kind of the umbrella housing all of that in one place. So if you're a Twitter person, you go to your district app and you pull up your district Twitter feed and you get everything that you need to do right there, but you can also look at the calendar for next week. Um, and so again, inspiring people to be more involved and more engaged, um, but app, you definitely want to pull as many feeds as possible from whatever exists at the, at the district already. We are talking to Alethea from Chris Sharon's, and of course you can find out more information about the great stuff that she's doing over at chrissharons.com. Alethea, could you give us a little tour of the website and maybe what a school district goes through when they're working with you to create an app? Sure, absolutely. And I'm going to go ahead and um, pop up my iPad, actually, and show you a few of the districts that have gotten... Um, that have done their apps. And while she's doing that, I want to say thank you guys out there for being on the live feed. I want to give a big shout out to Tammy and Matt and Christine and, of course, our uh, our mascot here, Craig. If you have questions, we are doing the live hashtag on Twitter at Tech Tech Educator. And, of course, we are over here at TeacherCast.tv on our live chat. Waka, do you have any questions while she's pulling up her iPad? Uh, why does Craig get to be the mascot? Because he has arms. Alafia. Ouch. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Matt, I'm sorry. That's the puppet that we were talking about earlier. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> um, can you see my iPad? Yes. yes. Okay, excellent. Um, so one example that I want to pull up really quick um, is a school here in Atlanta, um, and they are the Suzuki School. Um, and this is, this is a preschool. They've got, um, you know, young children typically that they have as their students and so parent communication is key at all ages of a student's life but of course when they're younger we just tend to spend more time on what's happening with our kids so here's something that um, this school's got going on um, they've got their policies they've got alerts um, you know some nice pictures there's a communication section where you could look at oh thank you folks for mentioning us um, 
there's, you know, classroom information based on where the campus is. You could kind of look at different things that are going on. They've actually got um, things sorted by classroom level. So you can actually see, um, you know, at this particular level, here's a letter from the teacher that just came out, um, you know, yesterday or last week, for example. So you can really see, um, you know, general information about the school. There's social media down on the bottom left. I can pull up their Twitter feed and kind of see, you know, what they're tweeting and what they're doing with that. Um, there's a little click and share functionality here that actually pulls up the, the iPad camera with the Suzuki School logo on it. So you can take pictures with the logo and, and you know, help branding and share that message, post it on your Facebook page and, and whatever it is that the school would like to do. Um, there's a calendar where you can actually look at, um, and I don't know if they have this set up in that way. No, this one is just sort of a visual PDF calendar, but I'll show you an, uh, a calendar that's interactive as well where you can add events to your, to your, um, to your own calendar and kind of really see what that looks like. Um, here's another one that is, um, this is Pinelands Regional School District in New Jersey, I believe. Um, and they've got, you know, a completely different set of things. They've got something focused on their students, something focused on their staff. Um, if you want to have staff communications that happen through your app, you could have that be open or password protected. Um, again, linking portals to where, uh, you know, things that the district already uses, but, um, you know, you're linking that and having that easily accessible through your app. Now, with these apps, do the students or teachers or the staff of the school district, are they coding these? Are they making these? Or are they simply uh, choosing from a menu that you provide to them and ordering what they have? That's, that's a really good question. So with the school and the district apps that we create for the, you know, for the district, for example, um, what the conversation is is really thinking about what the district wants in their app um, and how we can create that and make that happen. In most cases, we already have an easy way to do that. We've already built that feature into the platform already, um, and so it's very easy to do that. Um, in some cases, you might even create a new feature and build a new feature where we're, you know, creating a brand new thing because that district wanted wanted that done in a particular way. So these, when we're working at the district level or the school level, creating the app for communications for parents and other stakeholders, that's where we're really looking at communicating with um, with the district directly and figuring out what they need, and then we go back and we build that on our end. Um, there are, however, there, Jeff, many, many students that have started to say, hey, my school doesn't have an app. I want to create an app for my school. And that's definitely something that's possible. We've had a lot of schools do that, um, get the kids involved in the process of creating their own app. It's so much more fun. There's so much more buy-in from parents, from teachers, from students, you know, they're going and interviewing parents, figuring out what they want on the app, they're going to the administration, figuring out what's important, and then taking all that research into the work that they're creating. So you can definitely do it either way. Now, I, I have to ask here, at the bottom of that menu, it says Infinite Cam. What does that button do? Mm -hmm. um, this one is actually Infinite Campus. This district uses Infinite Campus. So what we're doing is we're just linking to their portal. Nice. for a teacher to log in and get, I believe this is for their grades and things like that. Nice. And that's just all running a website or is, are you building that into it somehow? In some cases, we're integrating that more deeply through API. In other cases, it's just linking to a, a login page um, for another web portal. But it depends on, again, what, what the district wants. 
We have a lot of questions for you here. This is a very, very busy chat room over here. Um, again, Craig is asking, are the apps password protected, and do the parents have a specific amount so you could possibly share student picks? Uh, oh, that's a question. So they can be. If you'd like to have certain sections of the app be password protected, um, they can absolutely be. For example, um, there might be a student directory or a parent directory that you want to have on your app. Um, it's a nice searchable directory. You can type in David and all the Davids at the district will come up. Um, that's not something you probably want to have be public. So you can have that be password protected and, and very much secure in that way. Um, what was, there was two parts to that question, Jeff. What was the second part? Uh, they, he had something about pictures in here. Um, you were asking about pictures and having student pictures, and I guess there's a, um, you know, confidentiality. If, if, if any stranger can go onto the App Store and download an iPad app that you make for a school and it has students' names, pictures, identifications on there, how does all that work and what, what do we need to be aware of? Oh, no, absolutely. So um, definitely a lot of security that exists. We can have, you know, login, password protected um, information, again, very much based on what the district wants to do. Um, the sky is the limit as far as technology is concerned, and especially as far as mobile technology is concerned. So, um, you know, if, if you want to do it, chances are we can make it happen. Um, but the, you know, this school particularly, I wanted to just point out, um, this is a great district up in Iowa. And they've got, um, you know, their preschools, their elementary schools, middle school, high school, um, kind of organize their app in this way. Um, but we also have sort of a channel functionality. So if you go into, let's say, the Sioux City um, School District app, you could pick, hey, my kid is at um, James Middle School, and I don't really want any other information. I just want James Middle School. So you could choose that as your channel, and, and then you would only see information that tagged with and associated with that school. So you can kind of um, almost make your own app uh, based on the channels that you choose. You know, it seems like there's a lot of great features that are available these days that I wasn't even thinking about when it comes to school district apps. I mean, I, I've personally dealt with apps and school, I, I've dealt with school districts that were 200 kids and I've dealt with school districts that were 15,000 kids and everybody has similar goals but everybody has different goals. I mean, some people want an app just to share their Facebook and Twitter accounts, and some people really want that built-in parent portal and complete gradebook and teacher inter- integration on here. It's really yep. nice to see that no matter what the menu is, school districts have that ability to go mobile to help them out. I know in the past, you know, a lot of teachers are worried right now that st- students are going to be bringing their phones into the classroom and texting each other. I'm finding that more and more students are checking their grades and checking their grade books. So right. I personally would love to see an app created where there was a password where the, te- where the students couldn't get on between 7.30 and 2.30 in the afternoon. I think that would be a great innovation for you guys. We're going to take a... Uh... Well, they, I know that you can do things like uh, geofencing because, mm-hmm. for example, the... Um, the Brain Pop app doesn't allow students to access if they're off campus. Mm. That's neat. Um, I have one quick question. Um, so we at I work at an independent school, and we have over the years we had a school-wide app that was you know rolled out several years ago. It didn't get a lot of traction, but it still exists. 
we developed an alumni app specifically for our alums to connect with each other and to stay connected with what's happening with alumni events at the school. And, you know, it's just a way for them to see where they are in proximity to one another at any given time, if they're traveling, yada, yada. Um, and we're also looking at um, sort of rolling out, an, as you said, an emergency app that all teachers need to have in case of some sort of a lockdown drill or something. So now we have sort of three disparate apps. Um, is there a way to sort of bring all of those together? I'm assuming we're not the only school that has sort of, you know, these residual apps from, you know, experiments over the years. Is there a way to sort of tie all them together into one place? Um, it depends on how, on how married you are to the existing apps or how married your users are to the existing apps. Mm. Um, definitely a way to have one app that does it all. Um, and then that's the one that you promote heavily and you advertise and you, you know, really talk about every chance you get, and get you know, get people to download and use. Chances are if there's uh, multiple uses of a particular app, there's going to be more traction and more people using it. So um, we do recommend trying to streamline it. It's difficult for, for a school of any size to manage multiple of anything. Um, having three apps, I'm sure, takes a lot of somebody's time. Um, so, so, you know, streamlining is, is definitely a great thing. You want to look at an app that provides you with all of those functionalities so you can, you can say over time, hey, we have 100% of the people in our community that have our app and use our app. And, you know, the data says we have, you know, 70% of folks that use it every day or mm -hmm. every month. Um, and, you know, things like that that get people on board. You know, when, I know you said you're a private school, so when people come in to tour for admissions, you're saying, hey, download our app right away because if you're not, you're missing out. Right, right. And certainly I think the game plan at the beginning was not to have three different apps, but I think it just sort of worked that right. way over time. Right. And so it, it sounds like maybe we would need to reassess and maybe look at bringing the functionalities of the three different apps into one. I would definitely recommend that. Um, and you know, you, you mentioned the emergency communications and the emergency system. Um, one thing that we, we believe in very strongly at Perseverance is the idea of building things that our schools need, um, not just building things that we think are important. So we have a huge laundry list of features and functionality that have come to us as recommendations from administrators, from teachers, from students or parents, hmm. um, and we're constantly building those into our platform so that any school, any district can leverage them whenever they need to. Um, one of the newest things that we just launched is an incident weather functionality that is looking at um, getting, you know, you asked about, Sam, you asked about getting data back from users. What we're doing is essentially crowdsourced weather for schools and districts, but based very much on their location, their streets, where their students live. I like so, that. Atlanta, I, I could see that from traffic. Like, I know that we have three main routes that come into the school, and mm -hmm. sometimes you'll get to school and you'll be like, oh, there was a huge wreck on 101, so all of these kids are going to be late, or something like that. So if you had, you know, the, tr the traffic crowdsourced right. that way, you know, kind of like Waze does. Like a something. Waze API, right. Right, right. And, and think, about, think about this as sort of the Waze for weather. Um, you know, Atlanta got hit really badly last winter with the two inches of snow that we got. Um, and yeah, it, was, it was hard. We had, we had school buses out all night. We had kids stranded. We had people stranded. Um, and, you know, think of an Atlanta public schools, for example. They're a huge district, and they're 
they're spread out across a very large geographical area. Um, what this inclement weather functionality will enable a district like Atlanta Public Schools or, or any other district in the country to do is actually get live data input from a parent on their particular street or a law enforcement officer or a fireman saying this street is down um, so these buses aren't going to be able to get here or this is the weather condition, this is the snow level, this is the ice, um, but it's very, very particular and very narrow to the area that the school is in or the district is in. So a superintendent can, can look on their dashboard and say, okay, here's what the weather looks like for my district. I'm going to close these three schools, but these five are okay. Um, and he has the data to support that from the community and, and is able to kind of make some good decisions as opposed to ones that may be questioned later. We have a question here coming in from the chat room. It's from a W. Patui. Um, it was asking about the geography feature of your apps. Let's just say that somebody had the app on their phone and they happen to be shoved in a locker. Will the app help you locate the uh, puppet? Um, we could definitely build a functionality that had GPS locators for people that downloaded the app um, and for security reasons have a principal or a superintendent uh, be able to view that at all times. There's a lot of legal issues and privacy issues that we would need to consider, but um, if it's something that's needed, we'll figure out a way. Excellent. Uh, Waka, good for you. Yeah, he, he appreciates you sharing the question. <laughs> <laughs> we are going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to have an update here on the Hour of Code, which is quickly approaching us uh, in a few weeks here. Uh, but first, a word from our amazing, amazing sponsor. Today's presentation is brought to you by StoryboardThat.com. Storyboard That is the leading storyboard creator for classrooms of all grades and subject areas. Storyboard That, that provides a simple drag-and-drop experience on all platforms and operating systems for students to focus on their creativity and not on the technology. Are you looking to teach your students about science? How about Shakespeare? Perhaps you want your students to create an alternate ending to a book that you're reading in class. StoryboardThat.com is the perfect tool for you. Sign up for free at www.storyboardthat.com and try it today. Or sign up for a 25% discount on their great educator package by visiting teachercast.net slash storyboardthat. We want to take a moment here and say thank you to everybody out there who's watching or listening to the TeacherCast Educational Broadcasting Network. There's, of course, several great ways that you can participate in TeacherCast each and every week. We love it when you find us on Twitter at TeacherCast. Like us on Facebook over at TeacherCast.net slash Facebook. Subscribe to our many audio channels and video channels over on iTunes. Email us at feedback at TeacherCast.net. Find us on Pinterest. And, of course, subscribe to our YouTube channel at TeacherCast.net slash YouTube. The TeacherCast Educational Broadcasting Network. What do you want to learn today? And we are back here live with our 75th episode of the Tech Educator Podcast. Sam... We are quickly approaching the Hour of Code. Tell us a little bit about what the Hour of Code is and what you're seeing people are doing around the world to prepare for this. So the Hour of Code is uh, an event sponsored by Code.org, where from December 8th to December 14th, they want teachers all over the world to get their students to code for an hour. And code.org forward slash learn is a website where they have posted many different tutorials, even a full 20-hour curriculum focused on primary grades. 
that are all designed around getting students into a coding experience for some amount of time. And they want to be able to support teachers who might not be comfortable with coding to bring programming into their classroom. And teachers are meeting this challenge all kinds of different ways. Yesterday, I spent the day with some educators at a code.org professional development session. And we were talking about ways to get students doing programming activities completely offline, doing things like teaching loops through dance and uh, putting graphs on the floor and having students, you know, fill in and create images in graphs on the floor by giving each other commands completely offline. But there's also online uh, tools that you can do to program in Scratch, in Java. Um, there are apps such as Codable and Lightbot, all of which have kind of designed one-hour experiences that you can take kids into and kind of expose them to what's possible in the world of code. Now, here on my campus, we take a slightly different approach to it. I work with my students to do some kind of programming throughout the school year. So when Hour of Code comes up, I plan a family coding event. So for two hours on December 7th, we're going to get in right before the week, but it's okay. You can do it whenever you want, actually. Um, we bring parents, grandparents, and students together on campus and get them pair programming side by side. So you'll have, say, a kindergarten student and her grandmother coding together on an iPad during our family hour of code. And we have an amazing program plan. We have several different robot workshops, some iPad coding workshops, some desktop workshops. We may even sneak in a Minecraft workshop. Hmm. But basically, there's so many different ways that programming can relate to the work that we do in the classroom. We use an hour of code family event to showcase those and to get parents involved because many of them still see coding as something that's done by, you know, a lonely guy sitting in front of his computer typing in, you know, complicated syntax. And it's so much more than that now. Can I ask a question, Sam, real quick? Uh, so it sounds like you have a great assortment of workshops during your family event. Um, who's running those workshops, if anybody? I well, the, the workshops are being run by anyone I can rope into it. The nice thing about the code.org forward slash learn tutorials is you can get just about anybody who has the time to click through the tutorial ahead of time to facilitate it because they kind of say, uh, start here and click and read the screen and figure out what's going on. And when someone has trouble figuring out what's going on, they can help them out. But we have students running some workshops. I have a student running a Java workshop, another student running a Scratch workshop. We have some parents running workshops. We put out a call for volunteers, and actually more parents volunteer to help out with this single event than anything else on our campus throughout the year. And we have many of our teachers who are going to come in and help out with, this, with these workshops also. We, you know, they get paid a little bit of time because they're coming in on their day off, but they're actually very eager to be part of this because it's an amazing event. And when we planned it last year, we didn't, really know if it was going to work out. We just kind of were really hoping. And once we saw the parents and the kids programming together and kind of hitting that moment of discovery together, it was amazing. And so often it's the kids who are the knowledgeable programming party because they're doing something we've done in class or something related to something we've done in class. So they can actually show mom or grandpa 
how Codable works and how to get the fuzz through the maze and how to use a loop or a function. Now, Sam, we have a lot of people here in our chat room tonight over on TeacherCast.tv, and Tammy here brings up a great point. She says her game design class had to program a robot to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, which is pretty, pretty complicated. I have a question for you, Sam. Does that make Waka jealous? That does not make Waka jealous because he's dry clean only, so he doesn't (laughs) want to go anywhere near the jelly. Um, But... That sandwich bot activity, I've actually seen a number of places. I'm glad that Tammy does it. And if someone wants to know what that looks like, I'll drop this into the chat and tweet it out too. There's at least one YouTube video that a teacher has made of that activity where the students give them directions. And getting students to really take one process and break it down into every discrete step is a big challenge because they'll say, well, you put the peanut butter on the sandwich and you put the jelly on the sandwich and you put the bread together and this when you try to turn that into the exact directions doesn't work out at all there's all of this like unscrew the top take the knife put the knife in etc well alafia let me bring our guest back in here alafia from chris sharon's and you guys seem to have a great solution for students who are interested in taking that step and learning more about coding Absolutely. Um, Jeff, we, you know, of course, there's a phenomenal amount of uh, tools and apps that exist to help get kids excited about coding, um, to teach them coding. Um, The Hour of Code is a a phenomenal initiative. It's something that I've been a part of um, at schools that I worked at, and it's really a great initiative. And what it's done is it's gotten everybody thinking about how important this is, and that's critical. Um, what we're looking at with our program, our, our program is called MADLEARN. It's M-A-D LEARN, um, and MAD stands for Mobile App Development. And what we're doing with MADLEARN is really, really thinking about taking the concept of programming and putting it into the hands of not just every kid, but also enabling them to make something real, something that they can launch, and something that they can get feedback on. So, um, you know, things that we've heard from teachers, again, across the country that have worked with many different programs is, hey, we have, you know, we're able to, you know, we've done some game making, we've done some, you know, tutorials that tell us to do this, this, and this, but now what? And what we're doing with MadLearn is really focusing on the idea, focusing on creating a generation of entrepreneurs that are thinking about what are problems that exist in my world and how can I solve them using technology? And the way that we're looking at it is using a mobile app. But, of course, there's many technologies that you can use to solve problems. Um, but, you know, today already and 10 years from now even more so, anything that we touch and anything that we do in our world is going to be impacted by technology in one way or another. So really getting our kids early to think about not just games um, and how games are fun and games are something that are interactive and engaging, we're really thinking about how they can solve real-world problems through their work. Even though they don't have a huge coding background or programming knowledge, um, turning our kids into mobile app makers, problem solvers through mobile apps, um, in a way that they're starting off at a place where they don't have that knowledge, but then they're building on it um, as they get more and more excited and more and more interested in programming and in coding. So um, the program is really, really focused on... um, 
you know, enabling our kids to make apps. We actually have a, a I think she was a sixth grader um, in Florida who created an app that's been downloaded by almost 85,000 people worldwide. And um, that's, that's the kinds of experiences that we're seeing with, with the programs. So it's exciting. That is exciting. What, what app would a sixth grader create that 85,000 people would be interested in? Sure. So um, there's uh, one of the things that I'm always most surprised by, and I shouldn't be, but, um, but kids have great ideas. Um, and too often they're not able to act on those or do anything productive with those ideas, which is one of the big problems we wanted to solve with Matlab. We wanted to say, hey, our kids are, and we know this as a fact, they're yet untouched by society. They're not yet in a box. They still are fearless and they're adventurous and they, they can do things. So let's take the ideas that they have and actually enable them to turn them into something real. So one idea was a group of ninth graders in Tennessee, and I believe this is still in its prototype phases, but they are working on an app that is to educate and to help eradicate sex trafficking. They created a phenomenal mind map that draws out what their app is going to do, how it's going to do it. They have a, a place that's a missing person section. They have a place that is what to do when you witness an event like this. They have a place that's just educating the general population on the fact that this is a problem and it needs to be solved. Um, but that's, you know, it, it's just, it was great to see that. The, the teacher actually sent us a, the mind map that they had created for their app. and. It brought tears to my eyes. I just, I, I, I did not imagine that something like this would, would happen, um, and it happened with one of our pilot schools way back in January. Um, but it was great to see that that was what kids were thinking about, and, and they made an app on sex trafficking. Um, the particular one that I was talking about, um, Sam from Florida, she is at a school called Holy Trinity Episcopal Academy, <clears throat> and she created an app on Rainbow Loom. If you have young ones, you know oh, Rainbow yeah. The rubber bands and making things out of rubber bands, bracelets and necklaces and all kinds of things. Um, when we heard of the idea, we thought, oh, this will be interesting to watch. And what we did not realize was that a few months later, we had, you know, her teacher saying, wow, she's finally interested in English. She's writing out these instructions and she wants the grammar to be perfect and she's really getting into it. She figured out photography because she took pictures of what she was creating. She figured out videography because she took videos of her making these bracelets. Um, and so it was a, a very an all-encompassing experience for her that, that really enabled her to build a lot of different skills. And when she launched her app, she started to get um, emails from people all over the world saying, hey, this is so cool. Can you, you know, this is a picture of something I just made. Can you add it to your app? Or, um, hey, can you show me how to make this? I can't figure it out. Um, and I believe that she's working on adding to her to her app. She's working on adding a shopping cart. So that might be that might be a new thing that she adds in there soon. But she's constantly been adding to it, and it's just been a, a great experience to see her grow through that process. That's amazing. And you bring up one of the points that I keep coming up to in working with students and programming. I was a high school English teacher for 11 years before I jumped ship and went to elementary tech. And what I notice is that as an English teacher, I was always trying to find ways to get my students to create a text that would interact with a real audience. And I find that computer programs, whether they're apps or video games or presentation style video, 
they are texts that interact with a real audience, and the kids can easily see who that audience is, so they end up very invested, just as you were saying, in the grammar. They want to edit it. They want to get it beyond just done, because they know that it's going so much farther than the teacher's desk. Absolutely. There's an audience, right? And there's an audience, and an audience produces great work. Um, but, you know, in general, with, with MadLearn, we're, looking, we're not looking at programming from the bottom up. That's typically how most of the world looks at it. We start with the ABCs, we start with figuring out how to write words, and then turn words into sentences and grow from there. Um, we have a team of about 25 developers that have learned programming in that way. They've spent years um, taking classes, learning different languages, um, and now they're experts at it. But of course, that isn't going to work with our young kids. And so what we're doing is starting top down. We're starting with being able to create an end product, being able to create something that's real and tangible, even though you don't have that coding knowledge. But then as you're more interested and excited, you actually flip that screen around and see the code, understand what's happening behind the scenes, learn that, and then edit and manipulate it to see what's happening to your product. So um, we have a, a system that we're developing that's called Learn, Flip, Do, Earn which is based on that same model, which is you learn to think of an idea, create it, launch it, then you flip it around, learn what's happening behind the scenes, learn the code, really understand what it's doing and why. You do, you actually manipulate it and tweak it and edit it and see how that affects your app. And then you potentially earn or you're selling your app or you're selling pieces of code that you've written. You have a, a community of student app makers that you're interacting with and sharing code with. So that's, uh, that's the grand vision of the program. I can't hear you, Sam. I think I lost your audio. Would it be possible, sorry about that. Would it be possible, Jeff likes to edit that stuff out later anyway, um, to see the interface? Because I've worked a little bit with uh, App Inventor. Yeah. That is a way for students to use Blockly programming to build an app that works on Android. Mm -hmm. But, you know, if I were to get my students into this, what, what am I getting into? What would they be interacting with? Sure, sure. So I'm going to go ahead and uh, share my screen. Um, let me cite right now. So let me know what Can you see my screen? Yes. Okay, excellent. So I'm going to hit login here up at the top right, um, and I'm just going to log into our Coursera's management system. It's the CMS content management system, play on the word. Um, but uh, Sam, to your, to your question, it is very much looking at templates um, and building your app based on those templates. And then again, being able to flip it and see see what's happening behind the scenes. So I'm just going to go here to um, create a new app, for example. Sam, tell me if you if you were to create an app, anything off the top of your mind, um, an idea that you have, or something that you think you're a specialist in. Um, let's create an app for you. Okay, so we'll we'll create an app about puppeting. Puppeting. Okay, so puppeting. And if you see, it automatically generated an app code here, um, okay. which is something that you, we have an emulator app that's now in app stores. Um, you can download that app, and it'll ask you to put in an app code. 
And if you put this code in, you'll actually be able to see your work in progress app on your device. Nice. I like that. So again, you know, while kids are working on it, they can have a way to, to check their work and share it with other people and all kinds of good stuff. So I'm just going to put in a, a random password here for you. Um, so, you know, before I get to the phase, Sam, I'm doing a whole process, and we have a full curriculum that we've developed around the process of app development and app creation. Before I even get to this place, I'm going through a whole process of ideation, planning, mind mapping, doing research, getting all of the information that I need before I even get here. But just to show you the interface, um, I could upload my own design. There's a, a, lot of, a lot of teachers that are wanting to take that on in a big way, actually use this as an excuse to teach Photoshop and other design elements. Um, so you could create your own app design, upload your images, or you could um, just choose one from the galleries here. Sam, I'm going to assume, actually, you know, you, you're going to pick orange for your puppeting idea, aren't you? You're good. You're good. Uh, good. <laughs> um, there's little information tabs here all along, um, you know, the platform that kind of tell you what different things are. So, for example, the navigation bar is that top bar that you see at the, at the top of the app. So just some, some little um, pieces that look like that. But I'm going to go into the app creation uh, tool where I have a whole list of features and functionalities that are readily available on the system. And we also have kids that are creating new ones all the time. So soon we'll have some templates in here that have been coded by seventh grader at XYZ school um, to do something different that we can already do. So I just clicked here up at the top. Um, I'm looking at screens that already exist in my app. So there's some standard screens that you need to have, your splash screen, your home screen. Um, but I can, I can add buttons here very quickly. I can click on anything in the middle here, and it'll open up a properties area on the right for me to edit. Um, Sam, what would you like to have in your app? Um, I think probably a, a photo gallery would be important, uh, maybe a spot that uh, people could either upload designs or download patterns. Okay. So how about we call it Puppet Patterns for now? But I'm just going to go ahead and save that. Um, I could change, you know, anything that I want on the screen. There's little button images, so if I wanted to have it be a blue button instead, I could, I could do that um, and save my app. And I know you said Photo Gallery. Um, here on the left, are a list of features or functionalities that I can drag and drop into my app. So let's say that I want to add a screen and I want to have a map that shows me, Sam, where you are today with your special puppet. So I could put in an address. And would you give me your address, Sam, if you don't mind? Sure. It's 450 uh -huh. San Antonio Road. Uh-huh. And that's Palo Alto, California. So again, when I do, do something wrong, the system will tell me. So I get an error or I get something. Is that where you are, Sam? Yep. Excellent. So we all know where Sam is. Um, but I could, I could save that and create a new screen here saying uh, Sam's location. How about that? Um, but when I save this, 
um, I will see up at the top a new screen that has appeared that says SAM location. And then I can link it and, and kind of, you know, build out my app based on, based on the screens that I'm creating. So again, before I get here, I'm planning all of this out. I'm really researching this and drawing it out. Very, very heavy on design-based, project-based learning. Um, it's, it's heavily focused on that as a, as a model for your curriculum. Um, but to your question, Sam, the apps that we create, and I'm going to click preview right here, um, the apps that we create with MadLearn are cross-platform. So you can see them on iPhone, iPad, Android phones, Windows phones, um, all, kinds of, all kinds of devices. So we're looking at really enabling the students to not just learn one programming language and go in one direction as far as app creation is concerned, but to be as widespread as they'd like to be. So they can learn all kinds of languages. They can learn about different design that's needed for different different kinds of apps and different kinds of devices. Um, so this here is sort of a generic Android phone, um, but when you look at it on your iPhone or your iPad, it's going to look very different. So um, what we're able to do with MadLearn is really look at native apps on all kinds of platforms, um, Apple devices, Windows devices, and Android devices. Excellent. And we had a question in the chat window, and I saw in your FAQ that MadLearn is based on the number of students, like the, the cost for the program is volume-based, and it's based on how many students in your school. But how does it stack up against, you know, there we've used things like GameStar Mechanic, which I think is $1 or $2 per student, and then there's other things like Tinker that costs, you know, $3,000 for a site license. Where does MadLearn fall in that range? Sure. So um, it, it does, and actually, yeah, there we go. Um, it does depend heavily on the size of the school or district and what that implementation rollout needs to be. Um, it could be as little as a few dollars per student, and it could go up to as much as $75 per student if it's a very, very small rollout. Um, but, but it really does um, scale heavily based on how, how the model works. So we've had schools that have done just one classroom or two classrooms, and then districts that have done grade-wide or district-wide um, as far as implementation is concerned. But um, there's enterprise models that we have that allow you to do it on a larger scale. There's smaller rollout implementations that we have that allow us to do it on every level. Um, about half the people on our team are educators, so we've, we've ensured that we can really create a model that is um, usable by any school, any district. We want to ensure that every student has the capability of doing this. So um, we'll figure out a, made a, a way to make it happen. That's great. And one quick, another, my last question is about the curriculum you said that goes with it. How much time does that curriculum require? I'm sure you can pick and choose some parts of it, but if I were to, you know, implement it with my kids, how much time should I budget for that curricular piece? That's a really good question, Sam, and I'm going to answer that in two ways. Um, if you were to just do a segment within a technology class, for example, on app development, we would say you want to budget for at least eight hours, um, and, and that goes up to 15 to 20 based on how much time you want to spend on various aspects of the, of the process. Um, but the reality of the program is what we're seeing is once you learn how to do it, and kids pick it up much quicker than we do as adults, but once you learn how to create an app, we're actually starting to see this being used in an English class as an end of semester project. Um, hey, I'm not going to write a paper on, on um, Romeo and Juliet. I'm going to create an app that tells its story. 
Um, or and so we're, we're starting to see it being used as an assessment tool as well. Um, but really, you know, bringing in cross-curricular fun in different ways. So my history class, Roman Empire, we're going to create this awesome app that has a timeline about the Roman Empire um, and kind of have that be our end of semester project or our end of unit project. So uh, once you learn how to do it, you can take that and use it as a tool in any grade, any classroom, any subject. I'm really excited about this idea. We have uh, each of our three divisions, these capstone projects. For, so for the last grade within each division, we dedicate several months uh, to students working in groups uh, where they identify something within the community that needs to be addressed and they find ways to solve those problems. And, and some of them have gone so far as, you know, develop a website for them. We've had some interest in app development, but this seems like it would be a great tool to have at our disposal for those students who do want to go that route. Uh, so I'm really excited about this possibility. Glad to hear. Absolutely. There certainly is a lot of great opportunities out there for students in coding and also for school districts in coding. Alafia, I want to say thank you so much. We have a great chat room right now that's being led by not only Tammy and Jen and Matt, but I even saw a, a, a Brad Gustafson pop on here and, of course, Craig. Um, Alafia, tell us a little bit about where we can find more information about you and the great stuff happening over at Crescerance. Sure, sure. The best way to find out uh, more about MadLearn specifically is to go to mad-learn.com. Um, we're also on Twitter, at MadLearn. Um, and of course, our Christian's website has a whole lot of information as well. So tweet us. Um, there's a contact form on our MadLearn website. Fill that out. We'd love to get in touch and talk more. Excellent. This has been an amazing show. I certainly learned an awful lot. Sam, what did you think today? I loved it. Uh, it just really feeds in nicely to all of the work that I'm doing and the conversations I'm having with people about how coding can fit into the different parts of, curric of curriculum. And a tool like this is another thing that can help us get this outside of the world of just technology class. But this is relevant in all classes because we're creating things that interact with the real world. Now, we do have a message here. Um, one of our co-hosts, Jeff Herb, could not be on the show tonight, but uh, he blogs and does his podcast over at instructionaltechtalk.com, and he is actually putting together a whole show himself on Hour of Code. And he's basically asking if anybody out there is doing an Hour of Code project, he'd like to hear about it and maybe even feature you on the show. Um, check him out over at instructionaltechtalk.com. And you can leave him a message at instructionaltechtalk.com slash voicemail. And uh, David, you know, I don't know. I learned an awful lot about working with school districts, about school districts and apps, about some of the great things that we can do here. I am super excited about the next week's show. We have a, a full show next week on Hour of Code. There just seems to be a, so many different things that students out there can get involved with that I don't think was available three or four years ago. I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. In fact, I was here taking notes on my phone the entire time that we were talking because there's so many things for me to follow up on. So, yes, it's a wonderful time to jump into Hour of Code. There are so many things to do, and I absolutely am more fired up now than I was before we started talking. So people out there might ask the question, where can we find out all of this information? Where can we find the great links? If you visit our website over at teachercast.net, we, of course, have everything here archived. And this show can be easily found over at techeducatorpodcast.com. And this is episode number 75. You can, of course, check out. We'll make sure all the links are in there. All the contact information is there. If you want to reach out to Alafia, you can certainly do that. And if you really want to re reach out to Waka, I guess we can put that in there 
there too. Sam, talk to us a little bit about next week. We do have a full hour of hour of code. Um, what do you have planned for us next week, my friend? Well, next week we're really going to be looking at specifically what tools, sites, and workshops can any teacher do to bring the hour of code to their school, to their students. Uh, we're going to be looking at tools like Trinket.io, where they have really great web widgets that you can embed in any website that, for example, Jeff, let's say you were a, I don't know, music teacher, okay. and you wanted your students to be some, doing something about programming that was relevant to the content in your class, you could use Trinket's music widget to have them do music theory exercises right there in their browser, even on an iPad. Neat. So the show's going to be full of great gems like that. Excellent. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, in two weeks, we are taking off for Thanksgiving, and then we are coming back to talk a little bit about student feedback and student response systems. We've got some great shows coming up. Uh, we've got Poll Everywhere coming on. We've got uh, a few other great apps that you guys might know about coming on. So check with us, and please tell your PLN about the Tech Educator podcast here live on Sunday nights. And, of course, tell everybody about TeacherCast. You can, of course, follow us on TeacherCast on Twitter, at TeacherCast. Leave us a voicemail. It is shows like this that come out of your voicemails. TeacherCast.net slash voicemail. You can leave us some great feedback there. Of course, we can be found on iTunes. This show is archived alone or also archived as part of all of the TeacherCast podcasts. So if you check out TeacherCast.net slash iTunes, you can subscribe to one feed that has all of the TeacherCast tech educator stuff. Everything is there, and we have that both as audio and video. And if you're just looking for our video stream, you can, of course, subscribe to our YouTube channel over at TeacherCast.net slash YouTube. Check out all the great stuff that's happening at TeacherCast. I am so excited about all the great stuff that's happening. I want to say a big thank you out there to Christine, to Walka, to Tammy, to Jen, to Matt, to Craig. I saw Brad stop in. There are a lot of great people here on the chat room, and thank you guys so much for your tweets. My name is Jeff Bradbury from TeacherCast.net. Join us next week for episode number 76, but stay tuned right now because we are going to bring you episode number 17 of Brad Gustafson's amazing 30-second take podcast. Until next week, my friends, take care of each other and continue sharing your passions with your students. Fasten your seatbelts. It's the 30-second take podcast. Where two people face off in a digital duel. The podcast begins in three, two, one. Yes! It's episode 17 of the 30-second take. This is going to be a special show, special because we have two extraordinary educators joining us. We've got Jessica Johnson. Jessica Johnson, also known as Principal Jay from Wisconsin. Uh, a fun fact about Jessica, she self-published a children's novel with a Minecraft theme. Very cool stuff. Check it out. She'll be going head-to-head -head in our digital duel against none other than Jenna Shaw. Jenna's a middle, Jenna is a middle school teacher in Baltimore, Maryland. She's very collaborative, and it's inspiring to the core. Jenna just helped launch the global art project called Hashtag 
that's my cube. And if you have a 3D printer or access to one, you will definitely want to check out that project. Jenna, uh, that is very cool stuff, and it's connecting kids. And that's what this episode is all about. And the guiding question is, how might we connect our students, and then also, why? Welcome to our digital duel. Cast your vote for the most compelling response. The winner returns next week to defend the title. Getting our students connected in school, even at the elementary school level, is important because we need to teach kids how to use online tools with digital citizenship before they find them on the, their own and get themselves into trouble. It's no different than how we've always incorporated character education into the classroom, but now it's in the digital world. You can do some easy things to get your students connected. You could try having students add their ideas to a class Padlet. You could get them involved in an online discussion using today's Meet, teaching them how to comment back to each other. Or you can give them a worldwide audience by having them blog and read each other's blogs, comment on them, or even open it up to the world and have them read blogs from other schools. I know your kids will love these tools, and you will too. Why is it important to connect our students? Because this world is huge. There are billions of people walking around every day, brilliant people with great ideas. How many of our kids won't get the opportunity to connect if we don't make it a priority? So start connecting your students to grow ideas, build empathy, and to stretch their own identity. Connecting your students starts with connecting yourself. Reach out to people in your community. Build relationships with like-minded educators. Take risks and start conversations. We can only transmit the power of collaboration and connection to our students if it is something that we are deeply invested in doing in our own lives. So get on Twitter, blog, share, document, and be loud. Connection starts with you. If that right there does not have you wanting to connect your students to their world, to their learning, to each other, I don't know what will. Thank you, Principal Jay. Thank you. Uh, Teach Balt Shah, that's Jenna from Baltimore. Thank you. This is critical stuff. As fun as, as, fun as it is to compare notes and, and share these ideas, this is really important stuff. Throw some support Jessica's way, Jenna's way. Make sure to use the hashtag on Twitter, 30-second take, when you're casting your vote. One of these two brilliant minds and talented educators will be back guest hosting next week. Uh, until then, make it a great day, everyone. Don't forget, you can check us out on iTunes as well. But most importantly, don't forget, don't miss an opportunity to learn something new and connect your students.